because of our positions, we have a tendency to receive a lot of accolades and encouragement, uh, as well as a lot of criticism and, and so on. But, you know, people are quick to build us up. And, um, and if we're not careful, if we're not guarding our hearts, sometimes um, that can turn into tremendous pride on our part. Well, welcome to the Leadership Collective. Today, Ted and I are joined by someone who is not only a special guest, but someone who is very special to me personally, and that's Pastor Richard Semino. Richard is the pastor of Metro Calvary in Roseville, California. Now, I met Richard back in 1981 when he became the high school pastor at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, and it was the summer before I was heading into my senior year of high school. Pastor Richard had a profound impact on my life, and after high school, I had the privilege of serving with Richard for a few years before becoming a youth pastor myself. So Richard and I have been serving and partnering in ministry for over 40 years. So welcome to the program, Richard. It's great to have you with us today. Thanks. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to see your face here on Zoom, and uh, it's great to have this conversation with you as we're talking about balancing ministry, marriage, and family. And Richard, I was just thinking about it today that I've known you for 40 years now, and you um, became my high school pastor back in 1982. That's when you first uh, went on staff and first got into full-time ministry. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty um, amazing moment. And um, I think the the reality of what happened really um, gives the backdrop for um, how poorly I managed ministry. Um, you know, I, I got saved like around 1973, 74, um, had never been to a Protestant church in my whole life. And a guy invited me to this place called Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And um, it was so uh, mind blowing for me to see like, this is, these are the people of God and to, to, to hear the word of God expounded and taught and to be present with all the things that were going on there. It was so amazing. And the, Along the way, probably maybe 1978, um, I got married in 77. Um, Valerie was 19 going on 20. Um, I was 25 going on 26. And so we that be Calvary Costa Mesa was home. Chuck was our first and only ever pastor. And we had been watching God do everything you were seeing him doing around there at that time. And then, um, you know, fast forward to about 1982, when I had just this burning desire in my heart to do what Chuck did, to teach the Bible and uh, to see people come to Jesus. And um, so when he asked me to come on staff, I I was absolutely, you know, elated, shocked, amazed. Um, he put in all the superlatives for it, but I would just so overwhelmed by the privilege and wow, I'm going to be a part of what God's doing here. And um, uh, there was so much going on there. And I was trying to think back and you may help me on this, Rob. I think counting Romaine, there might've been seven assistant pastors at that time. Yeah. Total. I would say something. It was, yeah, it wasn't that big for sure. It wasn't that many guys. And like, you know, all of us had like five hours of counseling appointments, walk-ins, calls, as well as studying for our different ministries. And none of it was too much for me. Mm. It was not enough almost. And I, I never said no to anything. I was always like, had my eyes and ears open for what's, what else can I be doing? And, and that became the, that was kind of the backdrop for me um, to really get into a place where um, I forgot somebody that was supposed to be like, you know, one with me in all this stuff. So um, that was a big deal. And and I'll say this too, and you would remember this, that at the, that Valerie was very involved yes. um, yeah. in the high school group. And so we were together a lot when high school met, but that kind of, it blinded me to the fact of how many hours we weren't together during the week. And um, that was a really... That was a fatal blind spot for me um, because I was getting so personally rewarded in everything. 
um, I missed the reality that's like, I'd go home with nothing left in the tank. And she was just waiting for me to come home and to have all of me. And I was like, like that. So, um, and I'm really glad to have this conversation with you because Ted, I know you're, you're really passionate about Sabbaths and sabbaticals and, um, uh, man, I would have to say that the culture of Costa Mesa was, um, I wouldn't say it in a, in a, in a literal sense, because they wouldn't surely wouldn't deny it, but it was very anti-Sabbath for the staff. We had six days a week we were working and you can't rest when you just got one day and you've got things that do around the house, things your wife would like to do, and then things you'd like to do with your wife. And then you add kids to that. So it was a really, um, it was unhealthy in that sense, but it played to the, the strength that I think I have is to be tireless yeah. and I don't wear out very easily. And it, and my, that strength became my greatest weakness. Mm. And it was like, you know, being at, you remember all the conversations we've had about sports and being athletes and me coaching. It was like, you know, gut it out fourth quarter. You don't quit. You just keep going. Um, and that, that's the way I was wired. And then you put me into that situation and it was like kind of was a train wreck waiting to happen because I just missed it so badly. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, Richard. Um, but I, I know that Saturday was technically the, the day off for all of yeah. you, but if there was a baptism or if there was anything, a funeral, a wedding, anything that came up on that Saturday, you didn't get to make that up. Day. No. You just you just lost that day, right? Is the way yeah, it works. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna add add to this, like coming to the real where everything was beyond the boiling point. You know, like I said, I wouldn't say no to anything. And they had recently the church had purchased K Wave, and it was down in was it San Clemente or San Juan Capistrano. San Clemente, San Clemente. Yep, San Clemente. And. Um, the guy who was running it asked me if we wanted to do like a, a youth call-in radio talk show on Saturday nights. So my one day a week turned into a half a day off because we would leave like, you know, mid afternoon for K wave. And, um, you add to that, like I was teaching Monday nights in the sanctuary at that time, the Bible study, uh, Tuesday night teaching at the school of Bible, Wednesday night was high school group. Thursday was Chuck study at the time. Friday was the high school prayer meeting. Saturday, not off. Yeah. So for almost a year, that was my life. Mm. And that then it all just, it just, it, it just folded in on itself by that time. Which was inevitable uh, at the pace that you were, that you were running. Oh, which. Yeah. You know, you know what's interesting. I mean, our friends over at SoulShepherding.com they they share um, you know statistics of of uh, the average pastor, and they say ninety percent of pastors work uh, between fifty five and seventy five hours a week. Yeah. Um, and then surprisingly, ninety percent of pastors feel fatigued and worn out every week. And uh, and it's it's no wonder when when you're given you know, so much time uh, to those things. Yeah. Yeah. And, but like I said, the problem is that my strength was, is I didn't wear out very easily Yeah, and I could just keep going and going and going. And, um, that was the problem. Like I, if I had not had that and had been worn out and fatigued earlier, maybe I would have gone, wait, something's not right here. But it, that, that wasn't the, the, it took a long time for that engine light to come on. Yeah. And I think like you, you'd noted when we were talking about sabbaticals, Ted, you talk about like in case of fire, break this glass. Like that's how people <laughs> approach their sabbaticals. Right. Like, like because that's the way I was wired, uh, it, it took me a long time before I broke the glass, you know, right. needed to get the fire hose. So yeah, yeah not good. And, and Richard, right. um, how old were your kids at that time? Um, well, I can remember them the the day that literally Valerie just said, I can't do this anymore like this. Um, Nathan was still young enough to when our friend Jim King from England, he was at our house because they were having the first 
senior pastors conference on the grounds of Calvary Costa Mesa because they had outgrown the Twin Peaks one, right? And so he was at our house and he was shaving in the in in the downstairs kind of uh, um, half bath down there. And Nathan was just on the floor looking up at him. So Nathan was probably three, four, maybe. Um, Deborah was um, in maybe first grade. And um, yeah, so that's about how old they were. And yeah. Sean, Sean was a couple of years uh, younger than Deborah. Younger than De- Deb, yeah. No, four, four years, four years younger. Oh, four years. So he was just a little guy. She was maybe at most first grade, second grade at that time. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And I would, I just would come home and like, I would have nothing for her. Yeah. You know? So, so describe that moment when Valerie says, I can't do this anymore. What, what was your reaction? Um, how did you, you know, how did you begin to process that? Um, we, we had one of these moments in the morning and um, now people remember this is a podcast, so people can't see what you're doing. So he's putting well, his, yeah. he's putting his uh, like this together. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, we, we were bumping heads that morning and um, I remember for some reason, either I was in that same bathroom after Jim had left or, or um, she was in there, you know, cleaning the mirror or something and I, and I said, I got, I've got to go. The, the conference is going to start in, in just a little bit. And um, she turned around, she looked at me, and she just said, I don't love you. Mm. And um, the look in her eyes was, I still can't describe it. Um, there was just, she was just so empty and so broken. And um, she says, I'm not leaving you. And there's nobody else. I just, I just don't have anything left. Um, I made a promise to God, so I'm not leaving you. Um, but I, I've learned to live without you. And um, so, and that was it. And so I walked across the street, and here are all these pastors just literally like flooding the parking lot, walking towards the sanctuary. And I'm walking towards my office there in the South building. And um, I happened to see Malcolm Wilde walking by. And um, and I said, Malcolm, I, I need to talk to you. And he came into my office and I just said, Valerie just told me she didn't love me anymore. And I started bawling. And then he started bawling. And then we prayed. And from there, I walked over to the, like the, the main office and I found Romaine and um, I asked if I could speak with him privately. And we walked outside and I handed him my keys. And I said, I, I, you have to give these to Pastor Chuck. I, I, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. My wife just told me that she doesn't love me. I'm, I'm an absolute wreck. I, I failed as a, as a man and a husband. Um, here, here's the keys. And he looked at me. And was silent for, seemed like forever. And um, and then he said, um, I've seen worse. Mm. He says, uh, you keep the keys. I'm not going to talk to the head man yet. Mm. And um, you keep your hands off of this. You wrecked it. Jesus has to fix it. <laughs> and uh, so that was kind of the, that was it. That was the day. So I had a similar situation like that. And, you know, I, Richard became my high school pastor, my senior year of high school. And then during my freshman year of college, I started serving with Richard in the high school ministry at Costa Mesa and did that for um, about three years. And um, at that time I was working night crew at a grocery store and we had so much going on that I literally was out like every night of the week and uh, yeah. doing something with the youth group. And and that was my mentality. I mean, that was, you know, what it was like. And then I got asked to go on staff at Vista and I moved down. And shortly thereafter, Denise um, came, on, came to the church and we started 
uh, dating, and she started helping me. And for the first about three years of our ministry and and marriage life together, it was the same way. It was every single night of the week we had something going on, so much so that we had a a Sunday night um, church service, and Pastor Brian literally told me not to come. He was like, you have too much going on. I don't want to see you at our Sunday night service um, because we had something going on every night of the week. And there were two monumental things that happened for me in in this, um, because then about going into year four, we had our son, and that changed everything, because now Denise, who was with me every night doing ministry with me, like you were talking about, Richard, suddenly isn't with me anymore, and she's at home. But me being, you know, kind of a blockhead, I kept that same pace going for a while till I came to the point of realizing um, I can't do this. And the two monumental kind of pivotal points for me was one day I I remember coming home at the end of the day for work, and I pull in the driveway, and I'm walking up to the door, and Denise is out in the front yard, and she's pulling weeds. And I just noticed that she was pulling the weeds a little bit more aggressively than normal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I thought, um, something must not be, be right. So I went inside, and and um, I came out, and I just asked her, I said, hey, are you, are you okay? And she said, no, she didn't say she didn't love me, but she said, I just realized today I don't need you. And um, came to the realization that she said, you know, I do everything around here. You know, I do everything and she says, I just realized I would be fine. I would survive with without you. Wow, and that was I'm a big familiar. yeah, that was a big wake-up call um, for me. But something else had happened right around that same time. And it was this. It was um, Pastor Chuck had asked Brian to go with him and uh, Greg Laurie, Raul Reese, I think Mike McIntosh. We're all going to New York for the East Coast Pastors Conference, and it was back in the time when there was that guy, I can't remember his name right now, you would remember, but he had the private jet that he would fly Chuck and the guys on, yep. the, the things like that. And and so Brian told me, Chuck Chuck asked me to go um, to New York with him and Rawl and Greg and Mike and, you know, on the jet, and I'm like 22, 23 years old at the time, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, it's amazing. And um, a couple weeks went by, and I asked Brian, hey, when's that trip that you're going on? And he says, oh, I'm not going. And I was like, why? And he didn't give me an answer at that particular time. And I remember thinking to myself, like, what is wrong with this guy? Especially because, you know, I had watched you, Richard, to where, like, any opportunity that came up, you were on it. It was like, yes. You know, it was always yes. And and that was sort of, you know, my mindset as well. And so here's this humongous opportunity, and Brian's saying no. And it wasn't until um, about a year later, and it was right around the same time that Denise said those words to me that day, that I asked Brian, I said, how come you didn't go on that trip? How come you didn't go? And there was a couple times that that happened. How come when Chuck asked you, you didn't go? And Brian said this to me. He said, you know, I just realized at that particular time that my wife and kids couldn't handle me being gone. And so that's why I said no. And that struck a chord with me that it was like, okay, this is a different side of ministry um, that I haven't seen before. And it was eye-opening to me to watch, um, you know, Brian kind of handle it that way and approach it in a way where basically he was saying, my family is more important than my ministry. And that was something that um, I didn't see in a lot of guys at that particular time. And so for me, that was a, a, a very, those two events were very eye-opening for me to kind of step back and really rethink the way um, that I approached uh, marriage, family, and ministry, and the, the order and the function and, and all of that. Um, what about you, Ted? What, what's that journey been like for you? 
Yeah, well, I mean, as you guys are talking, obviously, we all have memories like this. Um, and, you know, I just remember in particular, uh, Brenda, you know, saying to Brenda at one point, hey, this is just a really busy season. And uh, she just said, baloney, it's always busy, yeah. you know, and this is just what's going on today, but tomorrow it's going to be something else. And next week it's going to be something else. And, um, you know, we were all part of that early. And when I say we all, I'm talking about the three of us here, but we were all part of that early uh, culture um, that, you know, drummed in service, dying to self. I mean, to this day, my one of my favorite ver verses in the Bible is Mark 10, 45, Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So, you know, that's been drummed into us, and we all embrace that. The culture at Costa Mesa um, was, you know, the culture of all of Calvary, um, which was, uh, you know, serve, serve, serve. Yeah. Uh, I remember there was a, a pamphlet or a booklet um, that was really popular in, in the early days. It was called The Ministry of an Assisting Pastor. And I think we're all familiar with that, with that booklet that uh, was put out. Um, and, you know, it just goes through, uh, you know, all these things that you're supposed to do, uh, you know, be the first on site, be the last to leave, you yeah. know, all, you know, but, and then in, in sandwiched in the middle of this thing, it talks about how we're supposed to be caring for our wife and our kids <laughs> uh, and the priests of our homes. And uh, I remember a group of us were kind of talking about that booklet and giving our input. And one of the guys says, if I do everything in this booklet, how on earth am I going to be there for my wife and my kids? I'm not going to be. And it's absolutely true. I was having a conversation with uh, Nate Holdridge and Connor Berry, and actually, Richard, you were part of that conversation. And uh, Nate Holdridge from Calvary Chapel Monterey, he said this, he, he was talking about um, sabbaticals and how, uh, you know, he said, uh, if I can get a guy to, you know, observe a Sabbath day uh, every week, you know, just start there. And then get them to appreciate the value of vacation. Then we can start talking about a sabbatical, because sabbaticals are really a larger part of a larger <laughs> rhythm of rest and renewal, right? So, um, and you know, I gotta, I gotta say, you know, Richard, when you say I'm a fan of sabbaticals, um, I'm a, I'm fairly recent fan of sabbaticals because, to my own shame, um, I, I didn't believe in them. Uh, I, I thought until very recently, I've been in ministry for 30 years, that uh, I didn't even know if they were biblical, to be honest with you. Um, and I wasn't a really big fan of sabbaticals until I absolutely needed one. And um, it was a, you know, in case of fire, break glass situation yeah. for me. Um, and, you know, if I can go back, and I don't mean to, to, to make Costa Mesa a punching bag here, that's not my intent, mm -hmm. um, but it's a good illustration for this point. Um, the, the culture at Costa Mesa, as you said, Richard, was you had one day off. And if you consider biblically, this idea of taking a Sabbath day weekly, mm -hmm. um, that, that leaves you no, no time. If you're going to have a true Sabbath day's rest with, with, uh, with the Lord and with your family, um, then how are you going to take care of all of the things that you have to take care of in managing your home? Um, you have to try and shoehorn it in to other, to other hours and other times. And so um, really this idea of striking balance, and that's kind of what we're going for here in this episode as we're talking is where do we find the balance in ministry? And I think the balance starts with, um, with establishing a Sabbath day's rest where, where we are taking this time to be able to seek the Lord, this, this, uh, this time where we can enjoy this rest with our families. Um, and then uh, in addition to that, having uh, another day of the week off um, for uh, just the things that require yeah. our attention other than ministering. Right. So I'm a big fan of, of, uh, of, a, of, a, of a five, you know, five day work week. Um, so to speak. Now, people will hear this and they'll just be outraged because as pastors, we all know that that the idea of a five day work week, you know, it's great. There are things that encroach upon it and they actually they absolutely do. But we can't let that become the the, the normal 
to every yeah. day because then we get yeah. to that place to where I'm telling my wife, hey, this is just a busy season. And she rightly says, it's always a busy season. There's yeah. always something else to, to, to go on. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you were talking about you didn't, you didn't really believe in sabbaticals. For me, if anybody ever told me that anybody that I knew was taking a sabbatical, I immediately thought they, they've fallen into sin. Right. And the sabbatical is, is you have to step aside now um, until we sort this out. Like that was my, nobody that I knew in the Calvary culture took sabbaticals unless they were having a breakdown or they sinned. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not a very good way to look, look at the Sabbath. You know, now understanding, you know, the things you shared, the things that, you know, uh, the same thing. I'm, I'm coming late to this one. Um and even even in, in view of um, like with Valerie and I, one of the things that I learned to do was to like when we went to Grass Valley, so it was the first time, um, and I and I took over as the the senior pastor there. Um, we we made the five day week for the pastors, and um, one of the problems that I encountered, and maybe you guys can speak to this, is um, even on my day off, I was never really present. You know, and one time Valerie and I were driving out to go someplace on, on Monday as a, it was a day off and we're just kind of not even on Highway 49 yet, ready to head south to through Auburn to the 80. And um, and she goes, you know, you're just useless on Mondays. <laughs> she, said, you, she goes, you, you have nothing to say. I feel like I'm talking to myself. Why don't you just take Monday and and use it as a day to button up what you last week and kind of set things up for this week, but make your day off Tuesday when you're kind of rested and you can actually be present. Mm-hmm. And that's a the man, that was a big like again, like an aha moment for me. Right. And so we've tried to, I've tried to really guard. We still have the Tuesday, Saturday thing, although mm-hmm. of late we've kind of walked it back to to Monday, Tuesday, because I don't have a, a Sunday night study anymore. But man, um, to guard that day has been a really, really important thing for us. So, and let me jump in on that. I think that uh, that's a good nuts and bolts uh, thing to work through, and everybody's going to be different. You know, for us, what I've settled on is the um, same thing Mondays, I'm useless um, to, to my family. Um, so, I've made Monday my study day. And what a great time to spend Monday where you're just in the word. Um, and so Monday and Tuesday is my study day. I took a, a page um, uh, out of uh, Craig Rochelle's book where, he, you know, he says he looked at his, his work week and he decided, hey, what's the most important part of my job? And he said, preaching is the most important of my job. So he says, that's what gets my first attention in the first part of my week. Nothing else happens until that's done. And I thought that's brilliant. And so Monday and Tuesday is my sermon prep day. Wednesday and Thursday is the, you know, the, just the working on the ministry days. Uh, Friday's my day off. Saturday's my day off. And I do that with my entire staff. I'm the guy that, that primarily teaches every week. So, uh, so that's what it looks like for me, but I encourage my staff, okay, you're going to work, you're going to work Monday through Thursday uh, and you're going to work Sunday. And so you're going to have Friday, Saturday off every single week. So I've done that with my entire staff and I've just encouraged them, you know, to, cause Monday to be some, you know, task, the most important thing that you do on, on uh, the first part of the week. And it's worked out really well. What do you do, Rob, in that regard? Well, it's interesting. As your work week goes. Yeah, it's interesting because I think what you guys are saying is a, a big part of this is just your perspective overall about the church and the, and the ministry and, you know, coming to a place where, you know, I came to a place where I look at it this way. I'm going to do the best with the time that I have, whether it's preparing, whether it's I'm working on the ministry, and then I am going to just trust the Lord. And I didn't used to always do that. So there would be times where it'd be like Saturday at midnight, two o'clock in the morning. I'm still trying to find, you know, dial in the message. And I came to finally came to a point where it's like, I'm just not going to do that anymore. I'm going to trust. I'm going to use the time that God gave me. And so I can't tell you how many times I go into a, a Sunday where I have blanks. Even in my notes, I have blanks. 
and I'm trusting that God is going to fill them. And he always does. I mean, I end up like getting something in the middle of the message. I write it for the next service in that blank space, you know, to remind me. But it's coming to that place. And so for me, my week looks a lot like yours in the sense that um, Monday is my study day as well. That's when I start. And I start, I do um, prep in the morning for Sunday, and I do prep in the afternoon for Wednesday because I have a Sunday and a Wednesday. Tuesday is our staff day, um, so that's a day of just a lot of meetings, and then Wednesday, I primarily come back to the Wednesday study, and that's where I'm putting together what I'm going to be teaching that night, and then Thursday, I work a day where, and my days always start early. I'm starting like at 7 a.m. That's kind of my, I'm better in the morning, so I might work a little bit of a shorter day, like till maybe at 4, 3.30, 4 o'clock, but I'll start at 7 and um, I'm studying and getting my message pretty dialed in um, on Thursday, and then I take Friday off. And when I take Friday off, it's like I'm totally present, not interested at all in, in you know, except there's an emergency. In fact, my phone is off, and I basically say, if you need me, call Denise, because her and I are going to be together on that day. We're, it's, we call it, I call it Denise Day, and we're doing stuff together. And, um, and then I come back on Saturday morning and for about four hours on Saturday morning is when I finish my, my message. And then the rest of the day, I'm just present for doing stuff around the house, doing whatever we need to do. And, um, so that's my week. And so it might look like six days, but, you know, Sunday's a little bit shorter because, you know, we're done by one thirty. Um, and then Thursday, I try to cut that day a little bit shorter where I'm done by yeah. two thirty, three o'clock at the latest. And then Saturday is maybe four hours, um, for me. And that's a rhythm that really, really has worked well for me. And I yeah. love starting on Monday, doing that study and like you're talking about, and then letting the messages just percolate in my mind all week long. It's been yeah. super, super helpful for me. Rob, I'm glad you mentioned emergencies because, you know, I can just hear as we're talking, someone saying, you know, oh, okay, what about an emergency? It's great to carve out time. It's great to say, okay, this is the priority of your schedule, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, what about when emergencies come? And to that, I would say a couple of things. First of all, um, and I think you guys would agree that we need to differentiate between, you know, somebody's chronic issue versus a true crisis issue. And I think a lot of times when, you know, what people call emergencies that need our attention is something that's just a chronic issue, you know? Um, and, uh, and so I think that there's, there's actually truly less emergencies than we, than we actually think there are. 100%. Um, right. And, and I think uh, as well that it's, it's okay. We live in, in the age with technology. It demands an immediate response. Somebody sends you an email or a text that can get a, a hold of you right away. I think in a previous episode, Rob, you were talking about that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, you know, we don't have to respond immediately to, to 99% of the stuff that comes, that comes across our, our, our desks or whatever we can, we can respond in, in a timely manner. And, um, and so, you know, I just, I, I appreciate you mentioning emergencies because most, most of them aren't. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of times I think we call, uh, you know, what, what really is poor planning on our part, um, it turns into an emergency or this is unusual and well, no, it's actually just, you need to be a better steward of your time or you need to, to not let other people demand your immediate time, yeah. um, when, when things can be put off. It was interesting that when we were in our, uh, did our church plan in Oregon. And, and so at that particular time, we we're meeting in a school. We don't have, you know, an office. So, you know, all the calls would come to our home. And, um, and this is in the day of the answering machines, you know. And so yeah. we'd come home, the light would be blinking, and there'd be somebody on the other line just, you know, Pastor Rod, please, you got to call us. They're crying, you know. We're, we're having the horrible time, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, my wife, who has a much bigger heart than I do, would be like, aren't you going to call him? And I'd be like, nope, I'm going to call him tomorrow. And um, because yeah. the same thing, I knew it wasn't an emergency. And, and I can't tell you how many times this happened where 
I called them the next day and they'd say, oh. And they worked it out. We're better now. We prayed or, you know, something like that. But yeah, yeah. I'm coming to realize that. But Richard, I'm sorry. What were you going to say? Yeah, I think I think part of this, you know, um, I think it's really important that um, that the value of Sabbath um, and the importance of guarding it is, is something that we um, really work through with with our teams, you know, and then um, and also I think to have the kind of communication where you're kind of apprised of of chronic needs within the church if there's somebody that you don't know or whatever, so that when that call comes, you, you're able to evaluate it in a, in a, in a better way. Um, it, it's not like catching you off guard and it seems like, Oh, it's this thing, but any of maybe somebody else on staff would go, Oh no, no, no that's just a chronic thing. They're going to be okay for a day. Right. Um, I think that's really, really helpful. That kind of building that kind of team and that kind of communication around it for everybody's safety. And I kind of, and I kind of think maybe too, it's just, you know, kind of setting, setting down the rules, you know, and, and to have that kind of communication amongst your, your, your leadership team where people have the freedom to say no. Yeah. It was yeah. just unthinkable at Costa Mesa. Like, you know, Chuck didn't, he never asked me to take a Thursday night study. The, the two or three times um, that I had the opportunity to fill in for him on a Thursday night was there was a note in my box and it said, Rich, I want you to take this coming Thursday night. There wasn't, can you, will you, would you like to? <laughs> right. It was just, you are doing Thursday nights. And if you ever said no to that, of course, the, the, pan, the, 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 the touch point for it was, of course, you're not going to say no, because if you do, you'll never get asked again. Right. Mm. Right. You know, and, and like what greater privilege could you have than to have maybe the greatest Bible teacher, in, at least in the, the last half of the 20th century, to ask you if you wanted to stand in his pulpit for him. Yeah. You know, there's enough ego in all of us to say, of course I will, you know. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So I think those are some really, you know, handy deals that I've only, again, I'm just, I'm learning more about teams and pastoral leadership now at the age of 70 than <laughs> I've ever known. So um, I think that it, with you uh, talking about, Rich, how you are, had joy and your greatest strength being to, to serve in a deep well of reserves to be able to serve from. Um, and um, I, I think, you know, that passion in, um, in desiring to serve is, is uh, um, not, not necessarily unique um, uh, in the sense that, that, you know, guys typically in our, our positions kind of are wired that way. Um, but it's not uncommon for us to write checks that our family has to cash. Exactly. And, right. We're writing the checks and it's okay. We can cover those checks, but, but we forget that our family's got to cash those checks too. Yeah. And, and you were yeah. talking earlier, I felt like it was like, we're just building up this massive balance on our credit card. Right. <laughs> I was thinking about, it's like, you know, you want to live debt free, but man, somebody's paying for it and it's over right. here. And one day you're going to go like, you can't even make the interest payment. Yeah. yeah. It's a great analogy for sure. I, I was in uh, my uh, devotions today. I was uh, just, you know, considering the I will statements uh, mm -hmm. in Isaiah 14. And, um, you know, that uh, speaking of pride and selfish ambition and, and, you know, just the act of the personal will and self-focused, self-obsessed. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, uh, it basically there's this thing that happens and this is, this may, uh, this is a revelation that God gave to me, but because of our position, I'll keep this as short as I can, because of our positions, we have a tendency to receive a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, accolades and encouragement, uh, as well as a lot of criticism and, and, and so on. But, you know, people are quick to build us up and, mm -hmm. Um, and if we're not careful, if we're not guarding our hearts, sometimes um, that can turn into tremendous pride on our part. And um, uh, basically, uh, what we can start to do if we're not careful um, is we can have this self, you know, this, this self-elevated um, degree of importance 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're shocked when we go home to our families and they, and they're there to, to remind us among other things, uh, no, you're not as important as you think you are. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And that yeah. can cause, you know, to this, uh, and this is too strong of a word for it, but in the flesh, you know, we, if, if you're not careful guarding your heart, you become puffed up with pride and you get sort of a God complex where it's like, you know, you, you expect to, to be able to do things. Uh, I'm going to run my schedule and I'm serving the Lord and we, we can cloak it in this banner of, uh, uh, of self-importance and, and all of those things. Um, but really forget, uh, no, I'm a servant mm-hmm. and, and not only am I here to serve the people, but I'm here to serve my family. I'm here to serve my wife. I'm here to serve my children. Um, uh, and sometimes we compartmentalize things yeah. and uh, we forget that we're a servant. Um, we, we believe our own press clippings and yeah, I'm working a lot, but I'm getting a lot out of it, you know, maybe in a, in an unhealthy way. Um, yeah. and really, uh, uh, can be a t- toxic trap yeah. if we're not, if not careful and guarding our hearts. Say amen to that so many times. And, you know, I remember like before that, that, that the one moment, like that any other times when, when, when Valerie would be telling me like, you know, just pointing out like how I'm falling short. Right. I would literally think to myself, well, I just have had like three marital counseling things. And these poor women were there in tears telling me like how they wish that I, that their husband could be like me. Right. <laughs> what do you mean? Like I would literally, I'm going, why? Uh, uh, you got to meet everybody else that knows me. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's the opposite. And then after that moment happened, when, when a woman would say something like that in a counseling appointment, I go, just stop right there. You go talk to my wife about me. Yeah. Right. And you're going to find out whether or not you want a husband like me or not. Right. You know, and then when you're talking about the idolatry kind of thing, I, I had to read this book for class recently. And uh, this is this statement, busy, restless, Sabbathless people are idolaters. Mm. They have displaced the creator God who both worked and rested with a God who is no true God, the God of relentless productivity who can never stop to enjoy, celebrate, or to use the commandments resonant word, remember. Mm. And he said this, he says, only Sabbath keepers can be trusted with the work of image bearing. Wow. Mm. That's so good. Like right? The image of God yeah. who rested. Like, well, are we really bearing the image of God very well if we can't right. rest? Yeah. And That's so great. So who, good. Who, who, who said that? Who Rich? that? Andy Crouch. Andy, Andy Crouch. Crouch. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. You know, Richard, I so I was around during that time in your ministry when Valerie um I would say didn't feel valued um, you know, by you. But now um, that I know you guys, I mean, I see her as this woman who it feels extremely valued by you. And I see how you have just turned, you know, a radical, had a radical change of mindset, perspective, and approach um, as it relates to your relationship with Valerie. And it's, it's such a blessing to see, um, such an encouragement mm-hmm. to see. Um, you know, how, how has your perspective changed from where you're at now to where you were at, you know, then give us some insight into maybe that journey and just what's really changed in, in your, you know, outlook and in your whole mindset about ministry. I think some of it has to do with kids growing up and kids, you know, as adults, young adults, being able to um, give their observations of what they're seeing, what they saw, what they learned. Um, and then I, I do have to say still somewhat, somewhere along the line, it, there was crises that, that, that had to recalibrate yeah. stuff, you know, and um, uh, where you like, you know, when we were planning Metro, there was a big crisis that happened between, uh, Calvary Chapel, Grass Valley, and Calvary, the then CCOF, um, about planting a church in the city, and it was it was not good. It was just it was really difficult. And one of the things that I learned that I didn't learn it like for the first time, but 
But then we both kind of had this understanding. We are our only best friends. Mm. Like we're, we're, we've always said that in theory, but like at the end of the day, like the, everybody you thought was, no, you got you and me. That's what we got. And that was really, really eye-opening. And then again, during 2020, 2020, early 2021, with the stuff that we went through, um, I, I, I was so wrecked during that that I was totally oblivious to how I, Valerie couldn't get anything from me. Like she just said, I feel like I'm all alone. And I just was like, going, I don't have a resource to give you. I literally, I trust me, babe, I am not like just being into me right now. I, I just felt like so ruined emotionally that like there was nothing. It was, it was really impossible to be present with her. And it hurt her deeply that there was not that reservoir there for that moment. And I would, and I have to own it, you know, like, uh, like I, how did I handle it? Could I have handled it better? So between those adult kids being able to give you really in-time feedback of what they're seeing in, 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 that, in the dynamics of our marriage and then crises, those are pretty big deals. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting. I, I think the same thing. Our, our kids have a way different memory of things than the way that I maybe saw them or the way that I thought they were. And now that they're adults and, and we start talking about them, I'm like, really? That's that's how you felt or that's what you thought? And it is, it's very, very eye-opening. Um, what about you, Ted? What's that journey been like for you? Well, you know, the uh, I one of the scriptures that has been is really a life verse for me is Matthew 16, 24, where Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And another area, another gospel is says, take up his cross daily uh, and follow me. And um, I think that sometimes we lie to ourselves and I, this is, I was guilty of this to where, um, you know, I'm, my attitude is, well, I am dying to myself. I'm shepherding these people. I'm caring for these people. And I was leaving my wife and my kids behind. Um, and, um, and so, you know, I had to, I had to come to terms with that. And, um, and I I would like to be able to say that I've come to terms with that and say it, you know, in, in finality, but if I'm honest, um, you know, you come back to that and get convicted afresh and, and, you know, just recently um, having a conversation where, where I had to confess to my wife, I'm not dying to myself. I need to ask your forgiveness. Mm. Um, and, um, and so the dying to myself looks like, you know, to where I consider, okay, how, What's the state of our marriage? What's the state of our relationship? What's the, my kids are all adult and grown now and out of the house and, um, and all. And so, um, I don't have, you know, those daily pressures, but I'm still a father to my children, even as adult children. And so, okay, how am I denying myself and taking up my cross and following the Lord to, because here's the thing ministry, when we talk about the things that we do for ministry, we're passionate about it. We love it. We get a lot out of it personally. And sometimes, um, I, I can, I can be doing it in, in a way, um, you know, with, uh, maybe the right motives, but the wrong heart, um, because of, because what I'm getting out of it. So for me, it's been, it's been convicted and challenged by, um, you know, Hey, don't leave my wife and kids behind and make sure that I'm, that I'm caring for them and bring them along. And then that, that, you know, spills out to other areas. I mentioned, you know, the guys from soul shepherding, um, there's, there's some other statistics they share along the same line. 72% of pastors only study the Bible, um, when they're preparing their sermons, uh, 70% don't have a close friend. 50% don't regularly meet with an accountability partner or group. Uh, 44% don't regularly take a day off. Um, 85% have never taken a sabbatical. Uh, and so all of these contribute to that, to where I have to be able to say, okay, uh, what kind of accountability do I have? What, you know, you can't give what you ain't got. That's what Chuck always used to tell us. He's, you know, it's like the measles. You can't give them unless you got them. Right. And so, you know, we have to 
focus and go, okay, what is it that I'm doing to feed my soul? So I have something worthwhile to give to other people. What am I, what am I doing to die to myself and my selfish sin and my selfish desires so that, so that I have something to give to other people. So that's for me, that's kind of the regular, uh, accounting, you know, that, that, that I have to do. That's great. I heard something that David, Pastor David Jeremiah said um, when I pretty early on in ministry, and it really stuck with me. And it was another one of those kind of monumental things that helped me in this um, area. And it was that he said this, that this was the way he looked at ministry. He said, I am first and foremost a person, a person in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is first on on the radar and that you know the whole devotional thing you know that you mentioned Ted I've heard the same thing guys that I've seen who have fallen and I end up talking to them and I ask them you know man how did this happen and almost every single time they say I quit having a devotional life and mm. um, you know they they the time they spent in the word was merely for sermon prep and and uh, that personal time, didn't exist. Um, the prayer time didn't exist. And so first and foremost, being a person in a relationship with Jesus. I love where it says in Mark chapter six, when Jesus, or maybe it's Mark chapter one, I can't remember, but it says when Jesus was calling his disciples, it said that he called them to himself. Um, mm-hmm. Before he called them to do something, he called them to be with him. And that's what he has. So, good. so, yeah. so first and foremost, he says, I'm a person in a relationship um, with Jesus Christ. He said, second, I am a partner in this thing called marriage with my wife. And we are in this um, relationship together that we're growing. And he said, then number three, I am a parent and um, my wife and I are devoted to these kids that God has given to us and pouring into them. And he said, and then finally, and fourthly, I am a pastor. And, um, you know, that was the way he looked at it. And when I heard that, I thought, I, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, that makes a lot of sense right. to me. And um, that he looked at it, but so often we invert that, you know, yeah. where it's it's pastor first. And and then it's parent, maybe the kids right. come before the wife, and then it's the wife, and then I, and that, that it maybe even comes before our relationship with the Lord. And when that gets inverted, it is just so, you know, messed up. And right, right. around the time that I heard that um, was in that season where I would basically say I was a workaholic. And, mm. you know, I'm uh, like, you know, Richard, we have athletic background, and I was very driven in in that type of way. And I just always felt like if I was going to, I wasn't the most talented athletic, but I succeeded because I worked harder than mm-hmm. most of the guys that I played with. And so I, I kind of looked at ministry that way, you know, and, um, and I remember driving home um, one evening and just feeling like I have nothing to give to my family. I'm just spent. And, uh, and the Lord just spoke to me so clearly. And he said, Rob, let me take care of the church and you take care of your family. You focus Mm -hmm. on ministering to them and let me. And so I've always said this, that I'm going to hold ministry in an open hand and I'm going to let God, you know, like I'm holding a pen in an open hand where he can move it and he can change it and he can do with it what he wants to do. And prior to that, I had held it in a clenched fist. Like, this is mine. Mm-hmm. This is mine. Yeah. You know? And if God wants to do something, he's going to have to pry my fingers off of it, you know, right, right. And, and, and not intentionally thinking that way, but that's the way I was approaching it, you know, was right. like, it was so much dependent upon me. And so coming to that place where just like, Lord, this is yours and I'm going to be faithful with the, the, gifts you've given me, the time you've given me to do what you've called me to do to the best of my ability. But this is your thing, you know, right. you've mm-hmm. got to do with it what you want to do with it. And I know you've put me as the only person, there's a lot of other people that could pastor Calvary Vista, but there's only one person who can be Denise's husband. And there's only one person right. who can be the, the dad to my three kids. And now the grandpa to my three grandchildren and so, you know, it's in that place where it's like, I need to be as present as I can possibly be, you know, in my heart, my mind, my energy, you know, in these things. 
And there, sure, there are times when I'm still spent and I feel like I don't have anything left in the tank or I'm, you know, brain dead and I feel like, you know, babe, I just, I just can't carry on a conversation right now. But where that used to be the norm, now it's the way, way exception. And, right. um, and it's, it's healthy, you know. And um, I love what you said about uh, Valerie being your, your best friend and being like the only, the only friend because uh, I feel exactly that same way, you know, with Denise. Although, Richard, I will always be your friend, bro. So. <laughs> <laughs> No matter what happens, I'll always be your friends. So. Yeah, well, we imagine we lose, we don't have them. But, you know, I, I think, um, you know, trusting God with ministry, and I think it was Eugene Peterson that said something to this effect. He says, you know, while we sleep, God is actually working. Yeah, amen. And so mm. it, we are actually getting up in the morning to join him in what he's already been doing. And um, sometimes it's so easy to think like, well, nothing got done while I was sleeping. <laughs> God, was, God was actually doing lots while you were sleeping. Yeah, that's so, such yeah. a good and, and, and it's something as simple as that. It's like, well, then I, he can do lots while, even while I'm awake. So, yeah. Well, and sometimes you're sleeping is that you're sleeping and you're just, you know, taking a rest. And yeah. that's what's that's what's prescribed. Rob, I love you sharing about David Jeremiah. And, you know, what what came to me was the church in Ephesus. Yeah. Because, you know, if when we get it, but we start off in this such this beautiful place where where we're ministering, you know, from a place where the Lord is our first love. Yes. And then when we get it messed up and we get it backwards and we start hanging on white knuckling to, you know, this to, to whatever it is place that I've, I've gotten to, then all of a sudden I become this professional Christian. And, and at some point, you know, hear the whispering of the Lord saying, and you've lost, you've lost your first love. You know, you need to get back to, to me and just to loving me first. And, you know, I think, I think that's the bullseye, uh, nailing it with what you've just nailed is, is man, you know, you want the key to balance. That's it. Get back to putting Jesus first and getting the priorities right. And I'm not saying that I do it because I, I think that we all are regularly challenged. It's, you know, a greased pole, right? Yeah. We get we get up and we <laughs> yeah. slide down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, any books that you guys have read that have helped you um, in this particular area? Um, I, again, I just finished reading this book um, for school, and it was um, "Playing the Angles" by Eugene Peterson, and it was really, really good. And um, uses the analogy of the isosceles triangle, and he goes, "It's." Uh, he goes the angles, the, the 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 sides of the triangle, like they they will they they are proportionate. But if we, it's the angles that matter. It's the angles that determine the the size of the the triangle. You know that that and it was so interesting the way he talked about like we've forgotten the angles and the angles being prayer, the angles being devotional life, the angles being Sabbath the things that hearing God speak to us in his word, like, like God intends us to hear him speak to us in his word. And he goes, all that has been, we're good at the lines We're we're picking out the certain, uh, you know, skill sets of pastoring that are important. And those are the lines, but the angles are crucial <laughs> to the nature of the triangle. And um, I, I thought it was so good. And to just learn to, to my wife's only going to get it from me what I've got going on with the Lord. Amen. And um, I need to I need to work those angles with the Lord constantly. And um, so anyway, I, th- I found that a really really cool read. Cool. What about you, Ted? A uh, dangerous calling is uh, is a great oh, yeah. book, um, and uh, has been uh, very fruitful for me. Uh, this is an older one by Jim Cimbala, but Fresh Faith by Jim Cimbala um, has been uh, has been a, a formative book. Uh, for me as well, those are the two that immediately come to my mind, and not not to uh, uh, not to, to be trite or anything, but um, you know, regular time in in God's Word, you know, just the the Word of God, um, meditating on on it. Mm-hmm. So, Amen. yeah. Amen. Richard, any final thoughts as we wrap this up today? Uh, I'm thankful for the grace of God. you know in fact it was that moment like shortly after that moment with Valerie like I was supposed to go with John Wickham 
to Austria to meet with these these young Christians who are coming across, who lead, kind of sneaking out of Eastern Europe to meet to for like these little worships workshop things we were doing. And um, I remember that, that more, I, I just didn't want to be there. And Valerie said, you, you're going. Like, I think she just said, you, you're going, <laughs> get away from me. You're going. And, uh, you, you know, and so there I was, and I just felt so like lost. And I woke up that the first morning there in Austria, we were in this, this little bed and breakfast place and they had a hymnal on the, the, the nightstand. And I walked out into the, the, the fields with it. And I was just thumbing through it. And I came across my Jesus. I love thee, mm. you know, and it was right there that like, I just sensed the grace of God in the most experiential way I'd ever known it. That just transcended anything that I knew in clicking, you know, the right boxes theologically on it. And, and, and I do really, I can say God's grace is, is sufficient mm. for the biggest wreck, the biggest train wreck. And it's sufficient to carry the day, um, in restoring and maintaining a, a marriage. So I love it. Hey, Ted, why don't you wrap this up by praying? And um, why don't you pray for those listening to this that maybe are struggling in this area or maybe are in a place where their marriage is in crisis? And, um, and I want to just, you know, say that if you are in that type of place, um, I know myself and Ted, you know, we are uh, totally available. We'd love to be able to talk to you, minister to you. I know Richard has that same heart, and we could connect you with him. And uh, you can reach out to us here at the Leadership Collective. And um, But, Ted, why don't you wrap this up just by praying? Father, we do thank you for calling us into the ministry. And we recognize that um, you have chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak to shame the strong so that uh, you might receive the glory, the honor, the praise that uh, what happens would be you working um, in and through uh, flawed people for your glory. And in that process, Lord, we freely confess um, that, uh, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, which build it. And Lord, I pray for those that have been laboring in their own strength um, to um, to build the kingdom of God. Um, those who, for whatever reason, um, have uh, believed the lie that that they're the only one that uh, that unless they do it, it's not going to be done. That um, that. Uh, they um, uh, are expected um, to work uh, 70, 80 hours a week um, and sacrifice their wife and kids on the altar of ministry. And um, Lord, I pray that you would uh, cause uh, all of us to have those eyes to see when we have gotten out of balance, um, when we in areas have become professional Christians, uh, where maybe we have allowed ourselves to minister um, in uh, in and and uh, and on the church because it's in those places that we receive accolades and praise, um, and we've done so at the neglect uh, of our wife and kids. Lord, um, whatever uh, has gotten us into uh, to a place like that, I pray, Lord, for for those that, that are recognizing today that they're in a place of, of unhealth, um, that you would cause them, Lord, to trust in you. Um, Lord, we give you thanks and praise for our wives and, men, and children uh, and for our ministries. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to be good stewards of all of these things. Um, and uh, Lord, we're, uh, we're all well aware. First uh, Timothy 3 tells us, that our house needs to be in order. And so, Lord, I pray that we would take that to heart. You would give to us the wisdom that is needed, um, that our house might be in order. And, uh, Lord, I pray that uh, that you um, would continue to show yourself faithful. Um, and so we commit all of this to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Richard, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to share with us today. It was uh great having you on the show. 
Well, thanks so much, Rob. It was a, it was re- I was so blessed when you when you sent the invitation. So to join you and Ted. So thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks All right, brother. Okay, yeah. And you. Bye. Well, thank you again for joining us today on the Leadership Collective. This is such an important topic and conversation that I just want to say if this is an area that you're wrestling in or if you feel stuck or if you can't seem to get a healthy rhythm going for you and for your family, we would love to talk with you. Uh, Please reach out to us at leadershipcollectivepodcast at gmail.com. And when you leave us your contact info, Ted or myself will personally reach out to you. We would love to connect with you, and we'd love to connect you with a mentor in your own uh, area. I would also like to recommend a resource that I personally have found to be very, very helpful on this subject. It's a book by Andy Stanley called When Work and Family Collide, Keeping Your Job from Cheating Your Family. Now, I'll admit, I don't see eye to eye on everything that Andy Stanley believes, but this book is excellent. And in it, Pastor Stanley uses the the life and ministry of the Old Testament prophet and leader Daniel to share an incredible idea for finding balance between work and family. I think it's a must read. It's super insightful and helpful. Lastly, if there are certain topics that you'd like for us to cover on future episodes of this podcast, we would love for you to email us your ideas uh, to leadershipcollectivepodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on the Leadership Collective.